You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Heading deep into the backcountry requires a select list of purposeful items. Items that serve a profound reason for being there. When ounces add up to pounds, fluff and fillers are a no-go. Wild Spice Company brought the same mentality to their backcountry seasoning. A small selected list of the finest ingredients go into a sealed pouch that can be tossed in the pack. The Telecherry peppercorns really add a delightful punch to a trophy cut of meat or even a dry freezed meal in the pouch. Visit wildspice.com or find the link in the show notes. Choose from any one of their great blends and use the code HUNTIVORE at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 66, Buy It, Borrow It, Bury It, with Nate Judice. Nick calls up the recreational chef, Nate Judice. Nate is from Baton Rouge and has an obsession with creating amazing meals in the kitchen of the game that he gets. What better guest to play a game of buy it, borrow it, bury it with all the latest and greatest kitchen appliance fads. After breaking down what they're going to keep and what they're going to trash, Nate serves up some great recipes to try here in the thick of winter. All this and more on the next episode of Huntivore. Well, hey folks, welcome. To another episode here of the Huntivore. Man, I can tell you that I am excited to be sitting here having another conversation with an adult. Today at the elementary school, man, it was a doozy. In fact, uh, I'm sure that probably picked up over the, the sound waves here. I'm cracking one and it's only 6.30, so it's going to be, we need a whole night to chill here. But folks, I am joined by Nathan the recreational chef all the way down from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
Nathan, you just got done telling me how you yourself had quite the Wednesday. Yep, quite the day. Uh, juggling my parents in town, a two-month-old, and trying to get a full day's of work in, and uh, all while being excited to record this podcast. <laughs> well, excellent. Hey, good, good on you for housing the. Uh... Is it the in-laws or the parents? I forgot what you were no, saying. No, it's the parents. It's the regular time, yep. parents. Well, hey, good on you for helping out mom and dad. And, yeah, being a new father, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are you are you getting sleep yet? Is she a good sleeper for you? Oh, she's a great sleeper. So, yeah, she sleeps through the night, but the bad thing is she just doesn't sleep or nap during the day. So, you know, she requires full attention and still working from home, uh, trying to help the wife out as much as possible to where she can get a little break while I can still get a full days of work. You know, it's a struggle. It is. It is. Ours were good nappers and it left us struggling through the night. And even now it's uh, we got a king size bed and neither one of us are big individuals, but at the same time, right around 3 AM, you know, everybody starts stirring. They need to go to go potty. And instead of going back to their bed, they end up, end up in ours. It's a constant, <laughs> constant struggle. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, not looking forward to that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, all the way down Baton Rouge, the recreational chef, what came first, the the cook or the hunt? So definitely hunting. I, I in my opinion, from uh, being a Louisiana native, I didn't start hunting until I was older. Uh, you know, that being 15, 16 years old. Most people around here start hunting when they're, you know, five years old, as soon as they can walk and tag along with uh, an adult but you know I started when I was about 15 or 16 uh, squirrel and rabbit hunting with one of my uncles and that's just you know how I got kicked off good deal good deal and I think at that point too it's like um, as much as it's the activity getting the animal at that time it's almost just like spending time with you know the the men in your life that you're looking up to or even just the the ancestors you had, whether it's, you know, you take it, take the rabbit back to grandma at that point, and then she shows you how to gut it and skin it. So that's a great way to just get yourself into the, into the outdoors. Um, but then the cook, I, I love this story too, of kind of where you're talking about, you didn't really jump into the kitchen until you moved away from home. Am I right? with saying Yeah. That? Yeah. So that was in college. Yeah. So, so I grew up on a, on a farm, a sugarcane farm. Um, and my mom, um, you know, bless her heart. She stayed home with, with four of us, four boys. Um, so she was a, always chasing after us and cooking for us and always had great home cooked meals. And, you know, when I left for college, uh, I just missed that and hated eating out all the time. And so I just started cooking and, and, uh, I probably started, you know, like a lot of other college students cooking on the cheap end, a lot of stews and rice and gravies and red beans and rice, you know, all those, um, southern dishes that you'll see down here well hey getting some staples under your belt i mean that's you know that's those are lifesavers at that point yeah if i didn't have a casserole or a pot pie uh on standby yeah there'd be some definitely hungry nights uh oh, yeah. as i'm going through notes yeah and there was still plenty of uh plenty of phone calls back home to ask my mom you know what what should i do how should i do this what should i serve with this and you know that's that's really how i got started so did you go far away then for college? So being, are you, were you from Baton Rouge and then went someplace for college? Where did you get your degree from? No. So I, I, I'm from New Iberia, which is pretty far South. And then I went to uh university of Louisiana at Lafayette, which is about 
an hour from New Iberia, uh, maybe 45 minutes. So it really wasn't that far, but it was just my first time living, living, you know, on my own. And then after college, got a job and uh, eventually made my way to Baton Rouge. Chasing a woman like we all do, right? <laughs> you betcha. At some point, the ladies always seem to take precedent. Yeah. Why Why is wild meat important to you? You didn't. I mean, you had the upbringing later on, you know, like you said, 15, 16, but, but why is it important? Yeah, so, so when I grew up, uh, I guess when I started hunting at 15, 16 years old, you know, we would, we would cook the game that we brought in. Uh, like I said, we would do a lot of gumbos and stews, just a lot of long braising just to kind of hide the taste of the meat. Um, and then one day, this was later on in life, I was not quite married, but it was standing in the grocery store one day and just kind of looking at this long aisle of plastic wrapped meat and just kind of dawned on me, like how many people touch that meat and how much energy and things did it take for that meat to get to the store? And, you know, I didn't have any real connection to that food. Uh, so I was always a hunter and I, I, you know, I would still cook the wild game that I would have, but it was just like, I wanted to become more self, you know, sufficient. Um, so on that aspect, you know? Yeah. That's funny. Cause like, that's that same eye awakening that I had. Um, it was just after college. And, uh, at that point, like my wife and I, like I finally got my first career job. And at that point it was like, you know what? I think, I think we could do better. And yeah. just that same realization that it was like, there's, there's gotta be a better idea to this, this food thing. And not that I want to go super crazy, but at the same time, like I just opened the door to then this Pandora's box of man. Oh man. Like not only do I want to harvest my stuff, but I want to be able to butcher my stuff. And then, well, mm -hmm. now I want to be able to make more than just you know, stakes, like let's take this to the next level. What gets you excited when you get a new critter in your freezer, be it a, a, you know, wild pig, whether it be a deer, whether it be even be waterfowl, what gets you excited about wild game being something you want to cook? So, you know, it, it first starts whenever I start the butchering process. I know like you, you love to butcher meat as well. It kind of calms you. Um, same thing with cooking. That's where I go to, you know, get my Zen relax and just kind of blow the day away. Um, but I get really excited when I'm, when I'm butchering an animal and you're taking apart the meat and you see, okay, this is a, a meat that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with, you know, you get excited about that particular cut of meat. Um, sometimes you'll even label it on the, on the vacuum bag or whatever, however you freeze it that, you know, I want to make this dish with it, or at least that's how I do it sometimes. Um, but what's also fun is that your your species, you know, they all taste different. Even within your species, a different aged animal, they're all going to be a little different, whether one's more tender, uh, one's a little more quote-unquote gamey, um, you know, a little stronger flavor just because it was an older or a ruddy buck or, you know, an older duck. You know, they all just have their, their little different characteristics that's fun to experiment with in the kitchen. This might be a deep question. When does the car when does the animal become a carcass? Like when 
At what point do you see that critter go from a kill an animal to then that transformation to food? To be honest, if it's to be honest with you, if it's flying in the air or running on the land, it usually already looks like food. I, I daydream whenever <laughs> I hunt or even when I'm fishing, you know, I'll be sitting on sand or, or casting a line and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home or what I'm going to cook when I get home with this particular game or fish. You know, it's I've actually caught myself daydreaming and thinking, you know, I think I just heard something. I probably missed a deer that just ran by. <laughs> You're already thinking it. Yeah, it's like, oh, who is the guy? We just happened to have the uh, the NFC championship game uh, that was on, and there were several Packers receivers. Um, being from the North Country, actually Michigan, I'm still a Lions fan through and through. We got ourselves a new yeah. coach. We got a new beginning, all right? We're building from the basement on up. But my wife is a Packers fan. So we're watching the game, and I tell you, some of these shots that Aaron Rodgers threw to a couple of receivers, like they were definitely thinking well after the catch. They were thinking about the touchdown dance. You know, I I picture you kind of the same way, like, oh, man, this is going to be a great dish. And then, yeah, you were like, oh, man, there, there he goes. I yep, <laughs> totally yep, forgot the shot, and I I was thinking about the pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't talk about sports right now. We're still sour, you know, being a Saints fan about last year. Oh, how that ended up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's tough. Well, here's – and I, I haven't heard them in the scuttlebutt. But anyway, here's my – if I'm going to put on the Lions jacket, uh, the big talk right now is Stafford needs to go someplace. We're, we're cutting yeah. ties with Stafford. And in my, like, putting things together, where would be the best spot? Because that seems to happen always in Detroit. We get this all-star. He's going to be amazing. And we treat him like crud. And he needs to go someplace else. Like with Verlander, <laughs> like, go off to yeah. Houston. Well, that was a bad story because the whole cheating thing, so that doesn't that didn't turn out well. But at the same time, like go someplace else, get your ring because we cannot provide that for you. So yep. in my head, I was like, if if this was Breeze being done, Stafford needs to step in because then he's going to be coached by Peyton, uh, the coach there, and then he's also going to have weapons left and right. I was like, oh, look out! New Orleans would be yeah. stacked if they could grab him. I don't know if that's the direction they're going, but anyway. Yeah, I don't know if Breeze will give it up. You know, we'll see. But, yeah, speaking of the up north, right now it's it's super cold, and we finally have got some ice on the inland lakes. Um, Been doing some ice fishing. I had a great encounter with my boys uh, being out on the ice. And I know you're from Baton Rouge being like, what, what's ice? And yeah, that, literally that's what you put in your water, drinks, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, water does freeze and then it comes down to snow and piles up everywhere. And that's what no we're, kidding. yeah, we're currently dealing with that right now. We've got a nice, I mean, we've been snow depleted, but uh, this last little storm that came through really left a, a good downpour for us. But we got out last weekend onto uh, Buddy's Lake, uh, well, Buddy's Cottage uh, and then went to the lake and put some tip-ups out and then had the boys jigging, and we ended up catching a small pike on uh, one of the tip-ups. And okay. I tell you, the shrieks and squeals and giggles of these kids <laughs> to, like, basically they're all crowding out this hole, and we pull out this fish. I think I posted it on Instagram just this afternoon. Um, but, man, they were so excited. Something brand new. 
and I, I go to find a different hole and I'm, I'm augering out and my middle boy has the scoop. Uh, now the scoop is basically a slotted spoon that you then pull the, the slush and the ice chunks from after you've cut a hole or if it snows and you want to clean it out, you use that. Okay. And that was the perfect thing to like put in his hand because he was just grabbing at everything. So I'm like, you know what? You need to hold on to this. That way you're stopping, grabbing all the lures, grabbing the bait. Just here, hold this. Put him to work, right? Exactly. Well, I was going to have him clean the hole with the slotted spoon and – you know, he's got his gloves off at this point because they're they're too big for him. They're not fitting very well. So gloves are off. He's got the spoon in his hand. And I finally pull the auger out and said, all right, clean up that hole for me, Graham. And he goes in opposite hand, just ungloved, down into that hole and scoops out ice with his bare hand <laughs> and flops it on the ground. I'm just watching him like, you have the spoon in the other hand. So he pulls it out, throws it on the ground, and you look at his hand, and it, I mean, it's already red. And he's like, "It's so cold! It's so cold!" <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I'm laughing a little bit because he's got the spoon, and now he's put his hand in, and then he starts saying, "Now it's hot! It's hot!" Because he was feeling the blood rush back <laughs> yep. to his hand. Oh, so as I'm cracking up, I'm, you know, I have a towel there, so I'm di- drying off his hand and putting it in his. Uh, I have one of those little muffs that I brought from from deer hunting so i put his hands inside the muff and and sat him in the shanty but it was like he was so excited to just help out that he forgot he was holding the spoon and just dipped full bare hand into that that cold water oh man way too excited see he was thinking about eating the pike before he even uh you know thought about what he was doing exactly exactly so i he takes right after his dad i'm doing the same stuff over and over yeah so what uh so what does pike taste like i've actually haven't had it it's been a while since I've had pike. Um, best way I can describe it is fish. It's a freshwater fish. <laughs> um, I want to say it probably has a little more tang than bass. I've okay. had it only in a smoked form. So uh, as a good friend of mine um, describes it, it's you got to do some fancy butchering. Actually, this is a fish that has back straps to it. So you can either flay it all the pieces off and and smoke it that way or smoke it whole and then just like pick it uh all off but i tell you the that mix of like the the fish with the smoke it does have a little bit of oiliness to it mm-hmm. but for, as a predatory fish man it's it's a dang good meal uh, especially if you get several buddies around and yeah you just smoke up a, a nice big 24 incher it really does fill the room uh both in the bellies and with spirit it's it's good yeah yeah, so they look uh, very similar to alligator garfish. Have you ever had that? I have not had a gar. In fact, I'm, I wonder, like, how how close are they in relation other than they they eat the tar out of everything? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. But uh, they can be interesting to butcher. You know, sometimes I, <laughs> I remember a day in college after a lot of drinking and fishing, we were getting together and uh, – boiling crawfish and one of my buddies showed up with a I think it was about six foot three inch alligator gar that he had caught uh he was in a different boat with a different group of buddies and so uh, we were boiling crawfish and we decided hey let's cook up this this ginormous gar you know so we we're trying to fillet it off and pretty much every knife we had would do nothing to this fish you know they have like literally a series of armor so we ended up taking a, a hatchet to it, cutting it up, getting a little bit of meat off and uh, making like a, 
like a sauce pecan or a, a tomatoy gravy with it. And I think we um, didn't pay any attention to it and ended up burning it. So we actually didn't eat it. That was a uh, good old college days, you know? Yeah. You're going to have trials and errors and you're, you're going to have times <laughs> where you're drunk on light beer and you're not going to figure out what you're doing. Exactly. A six exactly. foot fish. That blows yeah, I wish I, I wish I still had that photo. I have a buddy that was about six foot laying next to it, and his tail was a little bit longer than him. You know, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Man, now when you were pulling the flesh off, did it feel was it firm at that point, or just being that big of a fish, did it really have like a a muddy soft texture in your hand? It was it was pork like, I would say. Pork-like. Those those bigger gar, yeah. I, I, call it three four footers and they they're like i guess texture wise they're kind of stiff they're not they're not the best to even they're that big they're not considered they're considered a trash fish here i think isn't pike considered not the best fish either i am um, not wrong in that guys enjoy catching them and i think they enjoy retru- or sending them back um yeah. i'm thinking the smaller ones are more prized as the eaters at this point if i got I know I'm sure there's probably somebody already screaming at me right now. If you can tell us more <laughs> about Pike, please email huntivore at gmail.com. <laughs> but getting the smaller ones, I think, really really do well. And just having fond memories of smoke pike, um, I, it doesn't really – it's not a, necessarily a trash fish. I think it's more of a sport fish, at least up here in Michigan. Okay. But, yeah, sure. they, definitely, they definitely get eaten quite a bit, at least with the circles that I run with. Okay. But back on to you, being down in the south, what's what's open? What are you currently chasing? Uh, even right now, I mean, we're sitting here in some deep snow, but that's not your situation. So uh, what's the what's the pursuit angle down there in the swamp? No, so we had, I think, 72-degree Fahrenheit yesterday. Um, now we're getting back in the 60s, you know, the frigid weather that we get down here <laughs> during the winter. Poor, uh-huh. poor, poor you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, we get down into the 30s, but it's usually not for long stretches. We actually had some snow um, just north of Baton Rouge, I think, three weeks ago, probably about two to three inches. Gotcha. You know, we get that probably about 10, you know, once every 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, so right now I'm still, you know, we still have, uh, whitetail season is open for archery until I think the 15th of February. Um, goose season goes on until about the end of February. Duck season ended, um, which is kind of tragic because usually this is when it starts getting good in Louisiana is right when it closes. And then squirrel and rabbit still open until the 28th. Um, and then I think we have another like short March season, two-week March season for squirrel and uh and rabbit so that's kind of what's going on right now i'm still still getting out there every whenever i can you know to chase some white tail on some public land i had a goal to take out three deer on the public land that i hunt <clears throat> and uh it's been a really really hard year for me on public land one just because i haven't been able to get out and scout like i used to or like i did last year um and i just haven't seen any deer on sand this year I've killed a couple hogs on stand, which, you know, I love wild hogs as much as I hate them. You know, it's a love hate relationship. I hate them, but I love to eat them. Um, but yeah, I just haven't seen any, any deer on, on stand on public land. Now I did, I did kill a deer on some private land and, um, hoping to get 
one more on private land before the season ends or one or two more on public land but it's uh you know they're kind of locked up already the most of the areas that i hunt the rut has passed so they're you know they're already bedded down with their with their does and yep switching back to feed at that point too and yeah that the, it's all in the private land it seems that they they always venture off into somebody else's territory yep so you just said you got like sitting for whitetail a hog would come by and then you just would take the opportunity at, at that is that what you're you were describing to me yeah yeah so um we're fortunate and unfortunate enough in louisiana to have a plethora of wild hogs kind of like texas you know texas has that as well um so if the opportunity presents itself you know one's going down <laughs> well good deal yeah i i t- i have that opportunistic uh feel about myself as well so it's like you know, I, I dream about that where it's like I go up into into a stand and it's like I don't have just one critter I, I'm chasing, but I'm chasing a whole number of them. So that's a yeah. When it comes to opportunity, you know, and hey, if the deer aren't moving, at least at least the hogs are. Yeah, and so so like my public land hunting last year, I probably could have tagged out. I think you can kill yeah, you can kill six in Louisiana, uh, two bucks, one antlerless tag, and then the rest are doe tag or antlerless tags. And I, I think I only killed two on public land last year just because I was sitting sitting well in my freezer and, and knew that I still had a few private land hunts that I wanted to do. Um, but this year, I just it's been rough. I haven't seen anything on public land. It's 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 a fun it's a fun hunt because you're not only hunting, you know, you're not only hunting the game you're chasing after, but you're also competing against all the other hunters. So it's it's frustrating and fun at the same time. You betcha. You're talking to a guy who uh, comes from one of the Orange Army states where it's like million strong, heads out into the woods, uh, especially gun opener. So totally get it. But now let's let's switch back to more about you again. Favorite critter to chase. Now you gave me some options too of, you know, and I should have thought about this, um, being land versus water. So we're going to start with land. But I want to know your favorite critter to chase. Yeah, so like I said earlier, I, first hunt was rabbit hunting, and it was a blast. Behind beagles, rabbits running everywhere. It's just a blast. There's no no other way to explain it. And then that, my, my second non-rabbit hunt was actually what we call, uh, we call them pool dew down here, but they're coots. You know what coots are? Uh, it's like a small bird. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, in the in the rail family. So at the end of duck season here in South Louisiana, there's a few uh, different farmers that will put on, um, I guess, coot shoots, and they are trying to save their last harvest of rice because they also eat a lot of rice, a lot of crawfish, and, and, you know, rice and crawfish go hand in hand. They are kind of a crop that are uh, raised together. So these farmers will, you know, let you come out onto their property and then you'll have a few people that'll go out into the pond and scare up all the, all the coots. And then you'll have a big coot shoot. So that was actually what got me interested in duck hunting. So duck hunting, I would say it has to be, you know, one of the best things you can do. You, you don't have to be quiet like deer hunting. You can hang out, you know, shoot the shit with your friends and just get anything off your chest you have. I mean, it's, it's just something about connecting with, with friends or family in a, in a duck blind that that's unlike anything else, but 
you know, I do love chasing deer now because you get more, you know, more bang for your buck if you do kill a deer. Yeah, it comes to on the not. I mean, they're both going to be quality, but now it's oh, the yeah, quantity absolutely. at that point. Yeah, you bring yeah. down a nice big deer, and you know that's going to feed you for, you know, half a year at that point. You shoot four coots, and you know you got a you got a weekend meal, or if you have friends over, you know it, it was one and done. <laughs> yeah. So that's your favorite critter's chase. What's your favorite critter to eat? So favorite critter to eat. Hmm. So for game, probably speckle belly geese. They're hands down the best tasting bird that's out there. You know, um, my wife is my wife is more partial to venison or, or wild pig, uh, but a good speckle belly geese. A good when they get down here, they you know. They fed on rice and corn the entire way down from Canada, and they're so fat. That's probably the fattest birds that we get. You know, most of our ducks uh, that we get, they they fly in pretty much straight. They don't they don't stop too often. Um, a lot of the ones that that we get at the end of the season that are fat, you know, they've been feeding in all the fields in Arkansas, and then they decide, okay, we're done here. We're going to move a little further south. Um, but the speckle bellies, when they come in, they're just super fat and a roasted you can make a prosciutto out of them i mean they, they're just the tastiest bird out there in my opinion nice now i mean of course you you know doing a, a breast uh in a pan like you said or even like going with a cure on a prosciutto um how about the leg quarters what are you what are you making out of the leg quarters on those speckle bellies so it depends i mean i, I like to roast them whole as well but if it's just, if I'm quartering it out, if it's a little shot up or if I wasn't able to pluck it because I had a too, little too many pin feathers, you know, I'll take those legs and usually I'll braise them down or I'll uh, do like a, a, a faux cure on them, just a, a light salt and pepper, let them cure in the fridge for, you know, 12 hours to overnight and then do a little uh, confit in them. If they don't have enough fat, I maybe a little olive oil, cook them real slow in the oven. Um, with some of that olive oil and that seasoning and I'll shred them and put them in, you know, you can make some risotto with them or, or just put them on top of nachos, something as simple as that. Nice. Yeah. That calm fee that you're, you're talking about, describe that process that you're going through. Cause I, I tried my own method of poor man's calm fee. I mm-hmm. basically put instead of water into a crock pot, I put a whole bunch of oil and threw in a whole squirrel and basically slow cooked them that way with a bunch of fresh herb, garlic. Uh, I think I had whole peppercorns in there and let that go to work and then shredded it. But then I was like, is this a Kung Fi or did I, did I skip something in there? So what's your process for basically cooking it in an oil? Am I correct in saying that you're basically slow cooking in oil at that point? Yeah, you're cooking it, slow cooking it in fat. Um, so I, I, the, I, I guess proper way to do it is you're supposed to cure it first in salt, um, and then cook it, cook it down on its fat. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that are yelling at me saying that's completely wrong, but you know, I've never actually, I've never <laughs> actually hate mail to huntabore yeah. at gmail.com. I'll, I'll forward it along to Nate. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've never actually been to culinary school, so I don't, I, I would say I'm kind of just going off of, of the little research I've done, but yeah, you would, you would lightly cure it in salt. Um, it kind of brings out that flavor and dries it out a bit. 
uh, to where that fat can can slowly melt out and break down that meat. Um, but like I said, there's there's some cases where I'll cure it lightly and just salt and pepper and sometimes some dried rosemary uh, for you know vacuum seal it, let it sit in the fridge overnight, and then uh, just put it in a. I usually put it in a small saucepan that's oven safe, and if there's um, I'll start cooking at about 250, 300 degrees in the oven. And then if there's not enough fat in those legs, I'll add some, you know, some other type of oil. Like you said, uh, an olive oil is usually what I'll, I'll stick to and just let it cook until it's cooked through and shreddable. Um, and then you can take that meat and put it in anything. Uh, one of the, one of the dishes I've made uh, that I really remember loving was I made, I think three, three different types are three different dishes out of one one game animal, and it was it was uh, I think a mallard. It was a pretty fat mallard. So I took the legs, I confit them, and I made ravioli out of that. That was my uh, I guess I didn't start that as the first course. That was the second course. The first course was that mallard's heart, along with a few other hearts, made some heart tartare with it. Um, served that as the appetizer. Then had the confit ravioli. And then, you know, the seared breast as the main course. And that was, you know, Dang. a really good meal that I made. Yeah. And that, you know, that was like a, what, just a Wednesday night that you guys do at your house? Uh, maybe, maybe a Thursday. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a Thursday. <laughs> if, if you have to tilt the spectrum as far as wild game cooking, is it, are you like a, a the one pot king where, you know, you're making something midweek that you're trying to use, um, Wild, you know, wild game is what you got, so you're going to use it. So it's going to be um, chili. It's going to be the, you know, stuff that you can just kind of whip together night of. Or do you find yourself leaning towards the fancy side of culinary, really pushing the envelope, just in the fact that you know what I get to play with something unique. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out far with that. Which end of the spectrum do you find yourself hanging out more in? So I bounce all over. I try to stay more more on the, I guess, elevated side, I guess that's how I'd say it. Because I like to show people what you can do with this meat when you bring it home. You know, it's not just, it's not just you throw all this, this deer, this duck in a grinder and make, you know, some ground meat out of it for chili. Now, I do love a good chili. Don't get me wrong. Um, for all the Texas folks listening, beans go in chili. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't hold my composure. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I like to elevate it a little bit just to show what this, you know, what this fish or what this piece of game meat can be and should be. Um, and I guess one of the one of the people that I looked up to, you know, I don't really know him personally. I've only met him a handful of times, but uh, Hank Shaw, you know, when I whenever I was digging around on the on the interwebs and found his, his website. And I was like, man, this, this guy's got it going on. You know, he's, he's got what, or he's showing what, what wild game and fish should be, how they should be eaten and how they should be, you know, cared for whenever you, whenever you, you, you know, you take that game or you catch that fish. Exactly. Exactly. He's been very influential on, I think a lot of, a lot of cooks, including myself. I know, like, as we were going back in correspondence, I believe you referred to me as 
a fellow fangirl of yeah of Hank yeah, Shell. Sure. <laughs> and I you you ain't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like he has been able to just like kind of like with your feed on Instagram, and that's just at recreational chef. Am I right? That's yeah, your that's handle. Right. That you've been able to show just a lot of ways of you know not be. I mean, tooting your own horn at that point, like, hey, look what I made, and look look at this amazing meal. But at the same time of being able to put some feedback to it of, yeah, this was really good, and here's what I did, that I think at that point you're also inspiring somebody that's like, you know what, instead of making normal burgers, maybe I, maybe I take something up to a next level. You know, inspire somebody to do that. Not that what they're cooking isn't bad, or not what they're cooking isn't uh, elevated enough to be fancy, but at the same time, just to give that extra level of, you know what, this is some amazing protein that we have. Maybe I, uh, maybe I try something new. Maybe I branch out into something and then actually find a dish that really then excites them at that point. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, you know, I'm hoping in the next month or so that I'm going to have a maybe a similar website to Hank. Maybe probably not quite as many followers as him, but you know, I'm looking to get something hopefully pretty soon that I can start sharing more of my recipes and, and get more things out there to where I can get more or to where we, you know, as, uh, as cooks can get more people interested in wild game, you know, cause that's a, that's the only way we're going to get more hunters out there is, or in my opinion is getting them interested in, you know, in the food and what they can do with, with it when they get it back home. Excellent. Excellent. You're gonna have to keep us up to date on when this, website gets launched we'll be able to send some people on over there that's absolutely that's excellent all right enough talking about this let's let's dive into the nitty gritties here of the kitchen um next to your knife what is your most essential piece of equipment what are you grabbing for when it's on the line and you got to make something so i have to yell at my wife every time she uh tries to move my cast iron pans and uh, she definitely knows that she should never clean them because she knows I have a very specific way of cleaning my cast iron pans. So, yeah, so I, that my cast iron pans stay either in my oven or on my cooktop, and that's where they stay. And I use them sometimes twice a day, but mostly, you know, at least once a day. Next thing is a good immersion blender, especially this time of year with all the with all the winter vegetables and, um, you know, the good the colder weather that we have in the south yeah (laughs) uh some good you know it it makes really good creamy soups and it's it's something i i use quite often as well good deal good deal yeah i'm with you on the cast iron it's a it's vital to to what i'm trying to do as far as get something uh get something made but yeah you're going with the immersion blender not a not a regular hand blender eh no no immersion blender it's uh it's worth it worst kitchen appliance you've ever owned ooh reaching back to college days it's probably i had a little miniature george foreman grill that you can fit like a half a chicken breast on it was the worst thing in the world but i used it all the time in college yeah <laughs> I, I, on my list here, as uh, folks are listening in, we're going off with some notes that we put together, and that was one of mine, was a college roommate's George Foreman grill. Uh, he would get a, 
uh, big pack of frozen patties, and rather than thaw them out, he would just put the frozen patties onto it, close it up, and then not really pay attention to it. The well, I think smoke... that's what the I think I think that's what their infomercial was like said. Right, you don't need to thaw it out; you just throw it on there and go. <laughs> well, someone should have punched George one more time because <laughs> it would fill the apartment full of smoke and just that vaporized grease and i mean just now that you open it up and it's just this gray piece of meat but i remember being like he would make burgers and then even for like the next three days it just smelled like burgers in the apartment and it just drove me nuts and it was definitely one that i that i was not a big fan of so then i yeah, then we I leave that environment. I get get my own house, and I was gifted a panini sandwich maker, uh-huh. and I tell you, same same results. It was a one hit wonder. It could make like a a grilled sandwich. Never mind that I could do the exact same thing on a grill <laughs> or yeah. or even on my hot plate or uh, or griddle or something else. But it was like this machine. And it was just a bitch to clean because nothing wanted to come out between the grooves. And oh, I I loved that it was a gift, and I, I tried to use it, but it was definitely like, man, I hate this thing. Yep, yeah, my other one is one of those electric hand mixers for, like, you know, making cakes and all that stuff. It's like you're mixing something, and then one of the, the little mixers just shoot off, fling mashed potatoes or whatever you're mixing everywhere. Yeah, just get a stand mixer. Those are just they're a little more expensive, but they're you know, they're also worth their weight in gold. I've just seen horror stories with the hand mixers too. Like yeah. you hold it and it spins around, you're like, I mean, you know, if someone's got long hair, like, man, that's a problem right there. <laughs> and then just for little you, kids, I'm like, Oh man, fingers are gonna get whacked off of this thing. <laughs> we gotta, yep, we gotta get or rid you of lift it. you lift it a little too high and fling stuff everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah. It's gonna be under ledges, it's gonna be uh yeah opposite wall because that sucker stuff stuff comes off at 200 miles an hour yeah yeah uh well hey this has kind of been a warm-up to a little game that we're gonna play and i've had some people ask me about some appliances and i myself am going through some of these and then i hear just this big uh Oh, what do I want to see? Ramp up of different appliances in your kitchen that people live for, and we want to we want recipes, and we want to make sure that that people get this stuff. And I, I'm going to go with the new model of whatever this is. So it just seems like appliances is like the big thing right now. And I thought we should go through. Granted, I'm going to put a disclaimer on this. We are. Well, I'm a I'm a bum from Michigan who has been trying to cook wild game more and learn from other people. So I may be a little biased in some of my stuff. And okay. I, um, I'm going to try my best. And I'm sure you, not coming from culinary school, but having used many of these, I think we could give the listener and the general public here a good a good offering of what we think of these products. Do you th- yeah, I think Do you so. think we're right on that? Absolutely. Gotcha. So anyway, the name of the game is called Buy It, Borrow It, Bury It. And we're going to then throw out an appliance, and then we're going to give our two cents on it. Okay. We're going to start easy. For Sportsman, The Grinder. Are you buying one? 
or are you borrowing or are you burying it? I'm buying it all day. And I'm so waiting for my, I think it's a 2004 or earlier, little small grinder to kick the bucket. It makes so many rattling noises whenever I pick it up, <laughs> but it still grinds so good. Um, but yeah, definitely buy it. Good deal. Good deal. I, I also put down buy. Um, I've got two. Well, I own one and then my family's business owns one. So mine is an attachment to our KitchenAid, our stand uh-huh. mixer. And that is a champ. It will do. Does, does it work good? Yeah. It'll do, like, let's say I'm out of burger and a roast needs to go into grind. It yep. is a great option to make five pounds, 10 pounds because it's easy cleanup. Um, it doesn't heat up very. I take mine, throw it in the freezer. Just, I mean, we've all known the, yeah, the procedures on what we want to yeah. do. That's a whole episode on its own if we want to oh, break absolutely. into it. But at the same time, it's compact, it's easy, and for doing five to ten pounds that you need for a weekend or a, a midday week, it is a perfect little tool. Um, I currently have the, I think it's a, a cast housing, and it does have plastic parts on the inside. I believe they mm-hmm. do come in an all stainless. I'd say jump yeah. up to the stainless. I don't have that, but I would say jump to the stainless. But that little guy will do a great job on a small little, like, hey, I need this roast to be burger now. It's a great option. Um, but if I'm going to do a whole deer's worth of grind or even a couple deer's worth of grind, it, it it's out of its league. That's not its yeah. purpose. Um, at that point, I, I do save up as much of my grind, um, and I do one big grind as, po- as possible. Uh, our family business has a a commercial grinder because they own a turkey farm. And so we, we make uh, different meat products and one of them is ground turkey. So it's literally a 75 pound hopper. It takes me longer to clean the machine than it is to twice grind, including fat through the, <laughs> through the yeah, grinder. I can about imagine. <laughs> so I would say buy it, but buy the one inside of your range because that boy is definitely, I I mean, I think it's definitely four figures. I mean, we're, we're looking at a couple thousand yeah. for that boy. Well outside of what we're trying to do. But just on both of our ends, grinder is a buy. Definitely a buy. A sausage stuffer. I said borrow. So I said borrow mine because I jumped off the deep end and I bought one. Um, I bought a small one, so a five-pound stuffer. But I used to make uh, – I still do. I make a, a decent amount of boudin. You know, South Louisiana sausage with with rice, liver, uh, usually pork, um, lots of seasoning. Love it if you you love it even if you've never had it. You gotta have it. Yeah. So anyway, I've been looking so, to explore a little in Boudin. You mind okay. shooting me your uh, recipe when we're all said and done here? I think I'll have to. Yeah, absolutely. Good deal. Okay, I back make, to the grinder. Uh, I just made a just made a recently a good really good duck Boudin. I didn't stuff it in casing, but anyway. So back to the stuffer. So I found specifically with boudin and andouille, you know, your more southern sausages, they're real big on texture. Um, one, you know, with boudin being the rice, with with andouille, you know, you have chunks of fat and more chunky meat in it. So I found that that using my my grinder to, as a stuffer, because you know they all have that stuffer attachment, that it kind of pulverized the rice and just made everything real mushy. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it was. 
it was more of an emulsion than than the actual boudin so i was like you know what i'm gonna jump off the deep end and buy it but i i love it and i have plenty of buddies that borrow it or they say hey can you stuff this sausage for me you know and i'll stuff it for them so just borrow mine <laughs> good deal see i'm on the other end i borrow my buddies yeah <laughs> so when we're when i'm making a casing I, I i've done hot dogs before or like yeah you're making brats or whatever it's it's nice to have um when it's again you can borrow it you know i just leave a leave a couple beers with him and then I, you know i get a chance to use it and he's super good about it and at the same time he he was just like you getting started into it he got himself a grinder well i gotta go with a sausage stuffer as well and he's in like anybody want to borrow it because right now it's just yeah. sitting here taking up space but at the same time important enough to be on the list yeah i would say if you're gonna get it get a 10 or 15 pounder i have a five pounder and like you said about your your uh grinder it takes me longer to clean it than it does to uh you know to get it all ready so the more meat you can shove in it and stuff the less time you're cleaning between batches and you know making sure it's still sanitizing good for your sausage good deal good deal pro tip there a meat temperature probe buy i said buy buy i have i think three of them now none of them are fancy either i have just a kind of like a little small digital pin one that i use all pretty much every day I actually have to bake a, a, a king cake for a friend and I promised him I'll bake him a king cake. You know, we're in Mardi Gras season down in South Louisiana. So I do a sourdough king cake and, and to get it perfect, you know, even with bread, you take temperatures of the bread to make sure it's cooked through. So you don't have gummy bread. So I have three of them. I have one that I use in my smoker, one that I use in my kitchen and one, if I lose the other two, there you go. Always a backup. Were you a yep. boy scout? Or if you have no. two, or you no, have one, you have none. If you have two, you have one. <laughs> no, I was with Buy uh, as well. Um, yeah, I've got the little dial one that I, I started in on. I picked it up one day, and I saw that sitting there, it was at like 110 degrees. And I'm like, it's been in my drawer. Like, it's not it, – I mean, it is next to the oven, but it is definitely not 110 degrees. And the housing had come loose, so I could oh. literally, like, adjust the temperature. temperature. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, boy. So, you know, I set it to what I think the house was at, and I think I got by for, like, a, a little while. But, yeah, I definitely went with one of the InstaRead probes. Uh, yep. That's nice. I throw that in the pocket of my apron if I'm outside doing a long cook or something. It's just nice to have um, an instantaneous read. Um, I just partnered with a company called Tapacue, and they're out of they're out of Missouri, and okay. they uh, make a box that has ports, and the the ports basically you can plug in a probe in them. And having those probes have been super helpful on long cooks. Um, I've done a Christmas roast. I did a couple briskets here, domestic style. And that was super great to not just have the temperature, but at the same time, this, this one's a Wi-Fi option, so it does shoot it to my smartphone. And inside of that app, it'll also not only give you the temperature, but then graph it out for you so that you can oh, see awesome. the climb of it. Um, I've like, I've been hesitant when it comes to like technology and cooking implements, just because I didn't see them really fitting together. But after mm -hmm. working with, with this product specifically, it's like, okay, I see, I see why this is in, 
why this is important. Um, the other option they come with, too, is it's a wireless uh, probe. And I really like that one just for the fact that if I'm doing a backstrap and I want to do a reverse sear, stick that yeah. sucker in and I get instant read right there on the phone. Um, I can't go super far away being Bluetooth, but at the same time, just staying in the kitchen, I can set a little alarm. And when it gets to 115, I know I got to be sticking close because 120 is coming up real yep. fast. So having a couple different ways to like keep temperatures and then yeah just in my pocket have the insta read for what i'm making i think it's definitely a buy when it comes to really trying to grab control of what you're cooking i mean enough control has been taken away in wild game being like you were saying earlier you're going to have this texture difference you're going to have taste difference depending on an, an older animal versus a younger animal to grab some sort of control is always helpful to the to the cook yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a similar similar setup for whenever I, whenever I smoke or or do a longer cook as well. And just being able to have some data is is nice. So good. Buy on the temperature probes. Totally endorse that. Double on both of us. Yep. Here's one that we're going to differ. The yeah. Instapot. This is like the big this is the big girl on the internet right now. Buy or bury. Or borrow. What are you doing? So I'm going to bury it. So I borrowed it multiple times from a friend, and I wanted to buy one before I borrowed it. So, I mean, if you're – it just – the texture, man, it's it's similar to a crock pot. I don't, I don't like crock pots. I have one, and I hate it. I just hate crock pots. You know, you get that you, – you put that meat in there, and you're cooking it for a, a long time. Not I'm not talking about the pressure – um, Instapot, I'm talking about the uh, crock pot. You cook it for a long time yep. and it gets kind of that mushy flavor. You never get a lot of the, the caramelization or the good the good bits, you know, on the on the meat. I find that same thing with the Instapot. Even when you do a good sear before that that um, pressure cooking type type scenario that the Instapot has just doesn't bring out the full flavor that I, that I think you can get out of a wild game. I do agree in the fact that um, when you put it into a Dutch oven, then it's going to sit in that Dutch oven for six, eight hours. There is something magical about what's going on in that. Not only the caramelization of the meat on the outside, but just the, I don't know, almost the cycle of moisture as it's, you know, it evaporates, hits the lid, drops down. There, there's, an, there's a taste element. There's a texture element. If if you got to go with a good, better, best, like the Dutch oven is going to win hands, oh, down, hands every down every time. Every time, yep. I am still going to say buy on the Instapot. And my perspective is, is that it is a, it's a Swiss Army knife. It doesn't claim to be the best at everything, but it can do a lot of things. Okay. When I, I, see, do, I see your argument. Okay. When I do a, like I'm making an asobuco, sometimes I'm not given the liberty of having a day off that I can babysit the oven. And I'm yeah. one that I, as much as I, as much as it's going to be safe, it's an electric oven. Something about me says that is an oven and I probably shouldn't go far from it if I'm cooking something. 
And hey, e- hey, even li- liquids can still evaporate from an oven, especially in a Dutch oven. Trust yes. me, I've 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 had some dishes go a little too far in the Dutch oven and in the Dutch oven and in the oven while not paying close attention to <laughs> not it. Being so I watched. get it. So yeah, yeah. I, I I am. I'm, I got to babysit it. I got to be there. And so, so there's a lot of times where I'm just not gifted that day um, to be able to do that. And yeah. Instapot is something that I can do on like like a tonight, like a Wednesday night. I there's been times where I've had to cut asobuco pieces or shank and get that in there to have it ready to go by by dinner. Was it a delicious meal? Yes. Was there a sterileness that I got from the Instapot that I wouldn't get from the Dutch oven? Yes, I I do agree with that. But I put it up to the, the idea that it's like, well, it may not be the best tool, but it certainly gets the job done. And by far one of my favorite Instapot recipes has got to be, I'm, I'm going to plug Hank on this one, is Hank's barbacoa. Because yeah. after you after you shred that, that shank and then you ladle on that sauce, and you, got, you, know, you got yourself a good, good beer, you got some cilantro, you got some onion, it's a taco, and it tastes damn good, <laughs> whether it's a little sterile or not. So I will say that the Instapot gets a buy from me. Yeah, so the couple times I have used it that I have borrowed it, and, and similar with a Crock-Pot because you get that similar lack of texture. So what I did in that scenario, I guess the second time I borrowed the Instapot, is I, I cranked the broiler up in the oven and took that meat out. Um, kind of shredded it or whatever. I forget exactly what I was making. I might have been left in chunks. And I kind of let that caramelization um, sit under that uh, broiler to kind of get a little more crispy, a little more texture, you know, into that meat. So that would be my tip if you do decide to buy the Instapot. Oh, there you go. Don't be done with just it coming straight out of it, but take it the one next step further. I like that. But, I like that yeah. a lot. I will say to add something else, I am looking for a pressure cooker, not an Instapot, an actual pressure cooker that you you know you put on top of your stove. Um, just got. I've never I've never cooked with one, um, so I want to play around. I've played around with the Instapot, so I'm I'm on the market for one right now to try to see if it gives any you know a different texture than an Instapot, which is you know basically a pressure cooker but just electric pressure cooker. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, you can't. They say you can't can in an Instapot, and where a regular pressure cooker, there's there's a way to yep. be able to do that. But yeah, I don't know. It was That's... I tried to do the. I I wanted a pressure cooker, kind of like in the same boat you were. But my wife was like, "We're not putting a bomb in our house," and so I had to tell her, "I'm like, well, it's not a bomb. I mean, stuff can go wrong, but we just have to make sure that we know what we're doing." But then when the Instapot came on, that was like the medium that I was like, my introduction to pressure cooking and my wife was, was the Instapot. Yeah. Well, luckily my wife doesn't know much about cooking. She does, so she doesn't know the potential bomb threat. <laughs> gotcha. As you're cooking and you're, why are you wearing a helmet? <laughs> uh, smoker. You're going to buy, you're going to borrow, or are you going to bury? So... I had a smoker and I lost it, it to rust. Oh, you know, yeah. It, you know, it was just one of those cheap cabinet smokers. It's gas. You add the wood chips. Um, I'm on the market. I want to buy another one, but I'm also 
wanting to buy or wanting to build an outdoor kitchen at my house. We just recently moved and I want to build a second kitchen. So don't tell my wife that, you know, cause I'm sure it's going to be expensive. Oh, but anyway, good. So well, right I, now, I'll send you the plans of backstrap alley. Uh, it's oh, still a work in progress. Called, or? Yeah. It's literally, I just covered my deck. It's, uh-huh. it's covered in snow right now, but everything's ready to go. The charcoal, the charcoal grills there. My borrowed smoker <laughs> is out there looking at me right now. <laughs> The gas grill's out there. I mean, there's the fryer lives out there. I tell you, yeah, make yourself an outdoor kitchen. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so right now, you know, you can smoke on a grill. So that's what I've been using, and it's kind of making me not want a smoker anymore, but I'm still going to get one. Anyway, so I've been using my, you know, kettle style, just a Weber, a Weber grill, not that expensive. You can smoke on it, and it just makes really good smoked meat. And, and one method that actually a buddy told me about is called the snake method, where you uh, just line your charcoal up on the edge about halfway around the kettle, and, and you can control the temperature very precisely on an uninsulated you know, Weber grill for six to eight hours without adding any charcoal. And uh, so that's the method I've been, you know, I've been using for smoking. Good deal. I've got a PK, which is made not too far from where you're at, yep. over there in Arkansas. Yep, that that's on the top of my list. I'm very interested in the PKs. Which which one did you go with? Uh, I went with the original. It's uh, okay. just the the aluminum one. I know they got yep. like the 360, and they got a whole bunch of these different models that are out there. Um, this one was actually at the Ace Hardware uh, in the next town over. They had it on clearance. And I'd already been kind of looking at it every time I walked in. I'm like, well, hot damn, I'm going to pick this up right now. And it's it's been a great one. And the fact that it's cast aluminum, like anything cast and heavy, it's going to last me forever. Forever, um, yeah. So I haven't gone anything, like we mentioned the snake method. Snake method, like you just like you said, fix uh, basically put your charcoal in a, in a shape and then light the one end and then it just works its way. And it slowly works its way. You add your chips and, you, you know, you're – your moisture, your water source, whatever you're going to put in there. And yeah, it'll, you know, for Thanksgiving and for, well, yeah, it was for Thanksgiving. My, my daughter was born the day before Thanksgiving, but I smoked uh, some wild pig hams, uh, I think two or three days before she was born. And that was our Thanksgiving meal when we got back from the hospital. But it, that's, you know, that's the method I used to smoke those two hams and they came out, you know, perfect. Yeah. I use a U I'll, I'll just do like a horseshoe and that, that's usually probably as long as I go. Granted, a lot yeah. of that stuff I'm doing is is venison, so I just have to. I want to get it. I want to cook, get it cooked through, but I don't want to get too far to dry it out. Yeah. Um I am borrowing my buddy's, um, just like you said, like a cabinet style, and I've done some briskets inside of that. And if you're looking for something that's just really good at holding heat and um, it almost plays like an oven at that point too, especially when you're using a large piece of meat. You add your smoke for a certain period of time, and then at once you wrap it, at that point you just want a low, slow heat. Yeah. So, so whatever it turns into an oven. Yeah, yeah. Whatever element you've got that's going to be able to keep things most consistent, use that. Um, I like that it's got racks in it. So I would say borrow if you've got the ability. If you've got a friend that's got one that's just like, man, I wish I would use this more. And it's like, well, let me help you use this more because <laughs> I got some sausage that I need to make. I got some summer sausage to put in there. So anyway, I put it on the borrow and you put it on the buy, but at least having some sort of, of smoking element. But yeah, as far as like the kettle style grill, you're going 
those, yeah, they're very multi, multi-purpose. I want to even say like a step up from a Swiss Army. They've got just a better blade to them. The fact that they can grill really good, but at the same time double up as an awesome smoker. Yep, and this is my opinion. I would stay away from the you know those plug-in grills. Uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of them. I've used one once. I won't say the name of it, but you know I just really didn't like relying on the electronics of a little electric auger and a little small heating plate to smoke whatever I'm cooking. You know. Yeah. Well, it's you got humidity down there. You got salt yeah. water down there. What what is more of an enemy to electronics than water and salt? Absolutely. And that's why I'm staying away from them. Gotcha. So yeah, we're just as humid here in Michigan, it seems. And basically I mean, we've got humidity outside, but it's in the form of of snow. But at the same time, with all that variable, yeah, just the plug in now. It could be me also being envious, and it's like I have to find a way to, to downplay it. But at the same time, I I really do feel like, yeah, that when sometimes when electronics get put into something where it shouldn't be, there's, there's just something that's going to go wrong there. It's going to go wrong. All right, this is a tough one here. The George Bluth Cornballer. Are you buying it, or are you borrowing it, or are you burying it? So... By cornballer, you mean a hush puppy, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not I familiar have no with this cornballer. <laughs> For those of you who watch the show Arrested Development, um, I watched this show from complete from the beginning to end uh, while uh, feeding all three of our boys. So this is what I put on Netflix to watch, and it's uh, the cornballer was invented by George Bluth in the mid 1970s. The device is used to make cornballs. I don't know what a cornball is. He attempted to market the device in partnership with Richard Simmons. Didn't work. And in fact, it was made illegal after it was found to cause serious burns. However, George continued to market it down in Mexico. It currently costs $29.95 in the U.S. and $13.75 pesos in Mexico. (laughs) So, So, folks... I think I'm going to buy it now that I know the price of it and like give it as a gag gift to someone for uh for Christmas or a birthday or something, you know. If you find yeah, if you find one, send me the link or at least snap a picture. I think it's fictitious, but at the same time, I thought it was a great plug-in to see if uh if this would be something you'd buy. <laughs> I'm no, burying no, it. No, I, I think I'll bury it, but uh I'm definitely going to look it up and yeah, Arrested Development has been on my queue in Netflix for a while, so I think I think next month I'm going to take a dive into it finally. Well, get ready to laugh. It's a good one. All right. This one, this is the albatross here. This is the one that I have gotten a lot of questions on. And before I say my answer, I also ran by what we were going to talk about with my wife. We were on our way back. We did a, we went out to dinner and we sat in one of the igloos uh, outside of a restaurant. We went to a restaurant oh, to so, sit outside. So the indoor, the yeah. indoor, outdoor dining, or outdoor indoor dining. <laughs> yes, the whole 2020, 2021 scenario. <laughs> yeah. So we we went to dinner, and then on our drive back, I'm explaining, you know, what our show is going to be about, and we want to talk about the air fryer. And I said I'm going to bury it, and she stopped me dead in my tracks, and she goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You cannot say you're going to bury it." You can say you can borrow it, or you can say that you can buy it, 
But she goes, you've never used one. And I said, well, I've, I've had food from it, from one. And she's like, no, no, that doesn't count because you didn't operate it. And the person who operated this one did not follow the instructions of the package. So you can't even say that it was bad food that was made because it was someone who didn't make, who wasn't going to make good food anyway. So I, I was she stuck. Has a fair argument, right? Yes. That's why I'm having to like take a step back and say, you know what? I, I am, I'm showing full bias on this. If I were to say Barry. So I have to change my answer to borrow. So in my answer of the air fryer, before I can come up with an educated response, I have to say borrow. So, so I've actually used one of these at a buddy's camp and it was to warm up some fried chicken that we had bought like the night before for dinner. And, and when we got back from deer hunting, you know, we took that chicken and the fries and everything out of the, out of the fridge and tossed them in this air fryer. And, you know, it reheated it really well. But for, in my opinion, you know, it's basically just a convection oven. So if you have a convection oven at home, why would you buy another smaller, bulky convection oven that you're just going to toss on your counter and use every once in a while? So I'll say Barry. You'd say Barry. Gotcha. Yep. And that's, that's the premise behind it is it's just, it's moving the air, the hot heated air with a fan. Absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. I thought that was the premise behind it. But, yes, we, we do have a convection oven, and so that would seem silly for us to buy one. Yeah, no, it, you know, it'll obviously heat up a lot quicker and be a lot quicker to, to fry, to air fry or whatever you're doing but than, a, than your oven because it's, you know, a smaller space to heat up. But I would still say bury it. Gotcha. So you're on the bury, and I, I have to play the borrow card. I'll let you know what my experience is with it because I think in order to fully fully vet this out, I'll uh, I'll have to borrow it, but folks, absolutely, it's it's a borrow berry on that one. Sticking with the fryer, now we're going deep, deep fryer. I bought one, I love mine. Over to you. <laughs> yep, buy it. Like I don't fry a lot of food, but whenever I fry it, it's good to have a deep fryer. You you know you don't want you don't want your house smelling like that. I mean, I have a little small electric one and a and a, a bigger gas one that we use for. Uh, one of our tailgate groups. Yeah. I didn't even talk about that. We have a big tailgate group for LSU football that we didn't get to do this year. But anyway, so we, I have two of them and don't use them often, but it's better than stinking up your house with fried food, you know? Yes. It yes. smells good. It smells good when you're doing it, but not two or three days later. Right. Well, that's, that's the next argument you need to have. I shouldn't say argument. This is a, this is a point to put in your list for why you need an outdoor kitchen is oh, absolutely. my deep fryer lives outside. Yeah. And I've got oil ready to go in the um in the cabinet out there that you know when we do catch a mess of gills, it's not a big process to gather all the pieces. All the pieces are already there and my one boy absolutely he'll eat his weight in in gill fillets. So oh, it's something we're using more and more. Uh actually this Christmas we did a whole big Chinese night. So we had crab ragoon, we made gyozas, we had um, spring rolls, we had egg rolls. So it was like, man, I just turned that sucker on high and one basket goes in, we're prepping the next basket for whatever's going in after yeah. it. So it is a great ticket or a great item to have. But I do like we say too, is that get ready for the maintenance, get ready for the stink factor. 
and have a place outside to use it. And you, know, you want to be able to to have that deep fried goodness, but at the same time, it does come with a price. But so, good, so we're said, both on buy. Yeah. So you said gills. What do you mean by gills? Uh, gills, referring to panfish. Uh, panfish. Okay. There you go. Blue gills up here. Uh, crappie. Do you guys call them speckled bass down there? Nah. Sockle. Uh, okay. That's a new term. Say that one more time. Sockle. Gotcha. So, or yeah. we call them we call them crappie too, crappie or crappy, however you want to say. But most people south of I ten call them sockele. All right, that's a new one. I'm gonna throw that out. I'll be like, oh, I got myself a sockele, and all my buddies are gonna look at me like, man, that gets weird. <laughs> they already do that anyway, but I'll just add to yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> just add to it. All right, a vac sealer or chamber vac? Are you buying, burying, or borrowing? I'm buying and. I think my wife's right down the hall, so I'm going to say quiet. I am on the market for a chamber vac, too. Um, my, vac, my vac sealer still works great, but it just doesn't get as much air out as I want. And also vacuum sealing liquids is kind of hard to do with, a, with your, you know, your conventional vac sealer. So that's why you know, I'm thinking about taking the plunge into a chamber vac, even though they're quite pricey. Yes. Amen. Um, vac sealer is a plus. I started on a chamber vac because it was part of the family business and I was jaded at that point because then I saw what else was on the market for a vac sealer as we're like, Oh, my buddy's going to, you know, Hey, he's bringing over his vac sealer and we're going to, uh, seal up his deer. And I'm looking at this thing like, holy crap, are we going to be here all night? Like <laughs> yeah. this little thing is just, it's working super hard to get it out. You got to buy special bags. That was the thing that I really did not appreciate about it was you got to have a roll of bags and they're perforated on the, in, or it's got the ribbing on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to start someplace, start with that. Get yourself the 50 buck unit and get yourself a roll and at that point, you're at least self-sufficient. So even with a vac sealer, I am saying buy. Yeah, absolutely. Given, if you, if you, no, go ahead. If, you, if, if you're going to butcher your own your own animals or your own fish, get a vacuum sealer right, right away. I did take the plunge on a chamber vac for myself. And yes, the upfront cost is steep. It is a very expensive purchase. However, you pay up front, and then it gets better because the bags, being able to just get whatever mill bags you want, they don't have to be ribbed on the inside. You can get them cut already to whatever dimensions. They are cheaper on that end. So you can find yourself a wholesaler on bags, and you start the cost savings happens there. So now the more that you use it, the more you end up saving with a chamber vac. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get with you on what brand you went to and why you went why you went with it. Yes, yes, we'll talk about that because yeah, that was a big homework assignment. Even just trying to figure out where that was gonna go because some of the commercial models you'd be like, oh, that's a little guy. Oh, four figures. Oh, well, we'll leave them leave them right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the size of your oven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Moving on to a sous vide. I I'm saying buy. But yet I've never used ones, but I still would like, I think I still would like to buy one. Okay. So I used to be in the buy category, but now I'm in the borrow category and I want to borrow one. Um, that being said, I've had multiple people that have bought one and they're like, 
they are excited about it and they use it for a couple months and then you know it's just another gadget in the drawer in the in the cabinet that they never use and it's also you know it's just weird cooking things in plastic don't you think so that is a it is a good point there is there is something to be said i mean look at what what was the stuff in the nalgene that was i mean i still love my nalgene bottle but at the same time they were talking about if it gets heated up there's like bh bhc's or or whatever can leach out yeah. of the of the actual bottle itself and so then yeah you're actually bringing plastic up to temperature it it makes you pay attention i think to what plastic you're putting in whether it's safe rated for whatever degree but that is definitely a a thing to be thinking about now i've seen my my biggest holdback from the sous vide was that it was a one trick pony that i would put in meat and it was a great marinator and it would get it up to rare for me and then yep. i could sear it and i was like if i'm going to get something like this it needs to do more it yep. needs to find um like you said it's a i don't want it to be a multitasker um Big fan, along with my my culinary venture being Alton Brown, he adds a whole science background to to yeah. cooking and makes some very good points. And watching his water circulator episode opened my eyes to not just being through meat, which it works very well on, like a steak, but at the same time, you can do a longer cook in these, um, given the vessel that you have them in. Um not to mention, he also did some dynamite desserts. He had, in little mason jars, made, um, I think it was a cheesecake. So basically, it was just ready to go. You pop the top off, and you have like a single-serve cheesecake oh, wow, at that point. Cool. And had a different basket that he was able to then put in there. So it, it really widened, the bro- it broadened the stroke of what a sous vide can do. And that made it lean over to the buy category at that point. Um Besides, if I if I didn't like it, I'm sure the the craze will still be there. So if I throw it on Facebook Marketplace, someone will pick it up. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a craze right now, and I have a buddy that's been talking about buying one. So I guess I need to egg him on to buy it so I can borrow it from him. Good deal. Pizza oven. Now I have a brother-in-law who's got a nice one, so I'm not even going to deal with it. So I'm going to bury it uh, for the okay. fact that when. Uh, when I need a pizza, I just I just call up him. But yeah, the the one trick pony thing is what gets me. But you have you have a different perspective. Yeah, so I have a different perspective. So my outdoor kitchen that I have planned in my head involves a pizza a pizza oven. So my current kitchen in my home, um, I have a beautiful, very inexpensive. I don't know why I said beautiful and expensive pizza stone <laughs> in it that lives in my pizza or lives in my oven. Uh, so it's always been a tradition in my house. Even when I grew up, my parents used to do it as well. We'd, you know, cook homemade pizza at home. Um, now it's, I mean, if, if you follow my, my Instagram, you can see all the, the wild game pizzas that I make now, um, usually on Fridays. And it's always, if I'm not hunting or fishing, obviously, um, if not, the wife will order pizza from one of the local pizza places <laughs> and wait for me to get home to pick it up. But yeah, so I say 
if you're going to build an outdoor kitchen, look into a gas pizza oven. Cause you know, they're basically just an oven, like kind of like what you said about a cabinet smoker, you know, once you, once you take the wood chips out of it, you know, it just turns into an oven. Uh, so some of the, some of the gas pizza ovens that I'm looking at to put in my outdoor kitchen, you know, they just come with a small little, uh, little wood chip box to give the, that fire, fire roasted pizza taste that you would get from a wood fired oven. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to put into my outdoor kitchen whenever I get it. And, you know, I can use it as an oven when I'm not actually cooking pizza, but if you don't get the pizza oven, go for a pizza stone. It, it's worth it. Gets that good crispy crust just on the bottom and soft on the top. You know, pizza stone is worth it. Yeah. Different perspective than an actual pizza oven. Now it's just it's like a almost like a terracotta at that point. A little more blonder. Looks just like yeah. a like a pizza thing. I think we had one when we first got married. Used it a few times, but at the same time we didn't have necessarily the tradition like you have with making pizzas on every Friday. So that's an awesome story that, you know, you're saying like, you know what, this, this is going to serve a purpose. It has one purpose. It's making pizza. And damn it. That's why I bought it is to make pizzas. So, but, but here's the other thing that pizza stone, you know, it absorbs a ton of heat. So, um, it takes your, I would say it takes your oven uh, a little longer to warm up, but once it warms up, your oven doesn't have to heat up as much, you know, it stays, you know, it's basically, um, a brick that stays in your oven that it kind of holds heat. So it, I feel like it heats your oven more evenly, even when you're not cooking pizza. So, so whenever I'm not cooking pizza, it's not on one of the racks of my oven. It's on the bottom of my oven and it just kind of maintains that more consistent heat, in my opinion. Nice. Now, I haven't Adds really, a leveling I haven't, yeah. to, to the ups and downs. Absolutely. All right. Dehydrator. Are you borrowing one? You buying one? Or are you burying it? So if I would have known that I know what I know now, I would borrow it because I don't use mine nearly as much as I as I thought I would have. You know, I'll make beef jerky or some awesome dehydrated meals when I go, you know, hiking. Um, but that's you know once or twice a year, and you'll make a big batch for a whole afternoon, a whole day, you know, of jerky, and then you're like, ah. Oh put it away. I'm not going to make it for a long time. <laughs> it is. It's a process. And when you're making it, it's like, yeah, like we're going to go all in. We're going to do the 15, the 15, 20 pounds. But then, yeah, for the next 364 days, it sits there until yep. you're, until you're ready to use it. Absolutely. I also said borrow, um, with our, our current setup here in this house, I have a convection oven and I have found a way to rig that up to be a dynamite um, dehydrator, at least for jerky. You know, if I'm, if I'm drying out meat works out really good. I don't know how it would work on like vegetables or anything like that, but at the same time, if yeah. gonna, there, there's not many times where anything, well, we currently don't have a garden. We live in the woods right now. So we're, we're working on moving some trees, get us some sunlight in here so we can have a garden again. Um, canning is more exciting than I think dehydrating at this point. But the idea of, I made a, I took, basically took a magnet and a bolt and just put the magnet on the one end of the bolt. So now when I close the door, uh, it pushes the pressure switch and keeps the door open up so that it will run the fan. I'm sure somewhere along my homeowner's uh, insurance, this is probably illegal, but at the same time, it works out great. I set it for, you know, the lowest setting or the lowest heat 
and it'll dry that meat out in you know five hours just moving that around plus it makes the house smell incredible for the next day yeah just make sure you have that fire extinguisher nearby but yeah that is one good thing about a dehydrator is that your you know your whole house will smell like meat candy for you know a couple days and it stays good. It's not like the deep fry action where you have that, <laughs> that yeah. taste stick around and ugh, just it, the film everywhere. You don't get that with a dehydrator. Something about nope. the dryness, maybe. Well, Nate, this has been great banter, but now we're going to get into the nitty gritties here. This is the crescendo of our show. We're going to get into our two-dish breakdown. This is where I basically throw you a question, and you need to explain uh, the process of what you're going to be making for uh, a certain scenario. Do you okay. think you're ready? I'm ready. Gotcha. So our first dish, of course, it's it's using wild game, of course. Um, but being right now in the middle, dead middle of winter, what is your favorite winter dish? Are you making something with bright flavors to combat the dark winter? Or are you going with something that's going to be warm, rib-sticking good, that's going to make you feel good for the evening hours? Okay, so I do like both of those. But I, I guess, recently more of a rib-sticking guy. So I'm also a seasonal cooker. So I'm going to stick to what seasonal crops are grown locally that I can pick up at my local farmer's market. Um, So right now we have an awesome supply of sweet potatoes. You know, they've been coming out of the ground for a while now, but they're, you know, they're getting big and plump and, and I love sweet potatoes. So my dish would be kind of a play on Asabuco, but typically um, we don't have, you know, I I don't chase elk because, you know, I live in Louisiana, so it's kind of hard to cut the shanks. So I'll just call it a braised shank Asabuco style. So served over, uh, sweet potato grits with some goat cheese mixed in. I like that. Going with the savory. I had my yeah. first sweet potato goat cheese combo um, earlier this fall, and dang, that that was a winner right there. It wasn't the you know where you put the brown sugar and the cinnamon and, yeah, and the, yeah. the walnuts. No, no, it, it was with the goat cheese. So now the no, sweet sa- potato grits. Savory sweet potatoes are awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah. So so yeah. With the grits. So so what you'll do is you you know you'll cook your grits. Um, good stone ga- stone ground grits. You know, cook them whatever the package says, and then when you're getting close to the end of that cooking process of your grits, you take uh, some baked sweet potatoes. You take up all the meat of the sweet potatoes, and you'll mix them in with your grits um, with a good whisk, and then you'll add in a good six, eight ounces of goat cheese. And I also like to throw in a little bit of cayenne pepper and sometimes a little bit of nutmeg. And it's, it's awesome. And then my, my Asabuco or Shanks Braze Asabuco style, you know, you'll get a good sear on them. Then you'll, you'll also, you know, you'll pull them out and you'll cook down your vegetables. I love to throw a ton of vegetables in whatever dish I'm cooking. Um, and uh, the secret that I use once my once my vegetables are cooked and the, the shanks are braised and they're tender, I'll take my shanks out and I'll take that that immersion blender that I talked about. I'll take that immersion blender and I'll blend up all those vegetables with the stock and with all the drippings from those 
those shanks and it creates a, a real smooth, silky, you know, gravy or sauce that you can put on top of those grits. Oh, and then you, you, know, you put those shanks and it's, it's, it's killer. A little bit thicker than an au jus at that point, but just, yeah, just thin enough that it just, just basically cascades over everything. Oh, yeah. That sounds yeah, good. And then if you have kids that hate vegetables, you know, you, you take that immersion blender and you blend it, you blend all those vegetables and they don't, they don't know the vegetables are there anymore. You know, it's just a, it's just a sauce then, you know? Nice. Nice. Yeah. Sneaking in the different veggies. My boys like veggies, but then there's times where they just shut off and it's just, nope, I can't eat another green bean. I can't eat another piece of asparagus to just have it in the sauce. That would, that would make sure. my, my dad bones feel good. Yeah, yeah, and I think so. That's kind of how pizza night started in uh, in my house when I was a kid. My parents used to. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't the big vegetable eater. I love vegetables now, but so what they would do is they would make the pizza, put the pizza sauce, put the vegetables, put the cheese on top, and then put the pepperoni. And I wouldn't know the vegetables were there because it was covered in cheese. So that's how I <laughs> ate, ate my vegetables on Friday nights. You know, I tell you, parents are smarter than they look. You know, absolutely. <laughs> So you just explained this this beautiful meal to us um, over the phone, over the over the airways here. Um, is there a way that we could visually see this? I think you were telling me something about you had a local fishing show or hunting show basically videotape you making this. Yeah, actually, yeah, there, it's a it's a local hunting and fishing show uh, by UL TV. Um, I cooked um, two dishes recently or i guess over the holiday break uh for them and one was being this dish um i don't know how long the segment's going to be it's supposed to air sometime in february uh but you know it's it was a good dish it was it was fun that was my first time cooking on film and uh you know it was a good it was a fun experience but yeah i I did post about it on on my instagram so you can see it it's it's one of my dishes uh you know i'll throw it up in my story whenever this this episode airs so you can see uh, see that that uh, Asabuco style braised uh, venison shank, and the only reason why I call it a say Asabuco style is just because I didn't cut those shanks because uh, some of those shank, you know, that venison wasn't wasn't the biggest one that I used, so I didn't I didn't do that cross cut like a Asabuco traditionally is. Yeah, I get, if I get a big old nanny dough, she's got to get cut just because yep. the length of that shin bone will just not fit into the Dutch oven. But if yep, it ends up, absolutely. you know, if it ends up being a little older than I thought it was going to be, oh, if it just fits in there, great. <laughs> yeah. Don't need to worry about cutting it. Well, good. Yeah, yeah send the- us that link when, uh, when or yeah, either show me the link or whatever, and then we can throw that up for our listeners. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. not only being able to, to hear about it, but be able to witness it, that's super good. Did you feel pressure having to now be able to, I mean, cooking is your thing, but now to, like, perform did you feel there was a new added element when it came to having to cook with uh, with a big camera there in the way? Yeah, a little bit. So, and and I felt that that pressure, like I, I'm terrible, and my wife yells at me all the time for not doing this, but I'm not great at writing down recipes, and that's something I've been trying to do the past two years because I do want to, you know, create a blog or or maybe even a cook cookbook in the future. I'll make a dish and my wife's like, this is the best thing you've ever cooked. And I'm like, yeah, I don't remember what I did because I didn't <laughs> write it down. Um, so now, so now I keep a book 
on the side of my kitchen and on the side are it's the same book it rotates from you know in my kitchen to on the side of my my nightstand um to where i can write down thoughts notes and and keep my ingredient list and my um portions written down but yeah so so whenever they reached out to me about wanting to wanting me to cook on film i was like you know what i'm gonna do something that I don't usually do. I'm going to cook this dish and actually write it down to where I can give them recipe. <laughs> so yeah, so it, it kind of added pressure because I was like, I have to pay attention when I'm cooking because usually it's my time to relax and, you know, it's it's my, my break away from my day-to-day job. You know, it's just I get in the kitchen and I start going to town and it's, so yeah, it, it added some pressure. Well, good. You didn't crack underneath it. Sounds like no, you did awesome. This next dish. Now, this one comes with, man, this comes with some real pressure. Uh, the time of the airing of this episode is supposed to be the day after Valentine's Day. So, hunters and sportsmen, I hope you are uh, taking note of that to be careful on said Valentine's Day because in nine months it does roll around to be hunting season. So make sure that you uh, you have your wits about you. But Yeah, like uh, <laughs> kind of like November 20, 24th. Our 25th, sorry, yeah. Also, yeah, that was when my daughter was born. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. See, prime example right here. Yeah. But right now, in your mind, you are having to plan Valentine's dinner, and you want this Valentine's to go just right. What have you got planned if you're going to be using Wild Game? Oh man, I got a, I got a feast plan and I'm not sure if the wife is going to like it or love it, but she's, she'll, she's a good sport. So she'll eat it anyway. So, um, I had a very good teal season. I don't know about up North. We have a separate teal season as opposed to big duck season or duck season. Um, so I had a good teal season and a good first half split of our duck season. We're split into two different, um, you know, we have a two week break between the seasons. So. I have quite a few duck hearts in the freezer. So, you know, I save all of the awful. I save, you know, the hearts, the livers, the gizzards, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. I save the feet for for stocks and for broths and everything like that. So with the hearts, I plan on uh, doing a duck heart tartare um, inspired actually by Hank Shaw. He has a great recipe for duck heart tartare. I've made it a couple of times. Um, I'm going to do a little different spin on this one. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet, um, but I'm going to pair it with a a sourdough baguette. I am also have a three-year-old sourdough starter. Uh, His name is Ferdinand. He lives on my countertop, and I bake a lot with him. That's awesome. Uh, We're going to have to come back, and we're going to have to do a whole episode on (laughs) sourdough because that's a whole new ball game right there. Yeah, and I and to be honest with you, I'm not the best sourdough cooker because you know you have to be very precise. And although you know, I guess my background, I am a scientist, but I are environmental scientist, so I, I do use a lot of science day to day. But when I cook, you know, it's kind of just off the hand. I, I don't usually follow recipes, and like I said, I don't write down the recipes. But at that point, it's baking art, baking with sourdough. Is, yeah, baking with sourdough, it's definitely a science, and you have to be very precise. So yeah, so my appetizer is going to be, you know, duck heart tartare with uh, some some probably crostinis from that baguette that I'm going to bake. Uh, one of the side dishes that I plan on doing, uh, if I can 
find some in the next few weeks foraging. If not, uh, we have a, at our farmer's market, we have a good oyster farmer. Uh, sorry, not oyster farmer, mushroom farmer um, that I'll get some from. So mushroom, oyster mushroom risotto. Um, man, I love making, you know, any dish with oyster, with mushrooms, especially oyster mushrooms. And right now they're actually growing pretty good in, uh, in South Louisiana with the, the kind of warm spell we're having this winter. They're kind of growing a little earlier and, and it's pretty humid. So if I can find some of the next few deer hunts, that's what I'll use. If not, you know, I'll get some from the local farmer's market. So, there so that'll be go. the side, that'll be the sides of my main dish. And then I have, uh, I think two small French racks of venison. Um, which I would not recommend doing that if you're new into butchering. It's not a easy thing to do to French a, you know, French a backstrap or French a, French a rack of venison. It's more um, on the masterclass end of it. Yeah. And, and in my opinion, it, it doesn't add a ton of flavor, you know, use those rib bones for, for stock or use those rib bones, uh, to smoke the ribs, you know, the rib meat on the deer. Um, but so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to cook those racks. I have two of them. Um, they're not too large because I kind of, you know, I portion it for one or two people whenever I vacuum seal my meat. And so I'm going to cook those to about medium and I'm going to make a, a strawberry and balsamic reduction to put on top of it. Uh, Good call with the strawberry. That's something yeah, I've always heard. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a blackberry fan um, yeah. myself, but also that's, that's what I have available um summertime so i'm using a lot of blackberry but this is the first i've heard of a strawberry reduction so and and the reason being is that right now is uh you know like i said i I shop very local and i love to support my local farmers and i love to keep you know the food that i eat as close to me as possible so so these are locally grown strawberries this is our our strawberry season right now just getting kicked off. So I have a half a flat in the fridge right now. And probably at this Saturday's farmer's market, I'll probably buy another flat of strawberries. So uh, yeah, that's going to be, I haven't done it before, but you know, I've made balsamic reductions before, but I'm going to do a strawberry one. I've done it with blueberries and blackberries as well. Uh, But because it's seasonal, I'm going to try with strawberry. And then I'm going to make a uh, um, strawberry ice cream or, or gelato, if I can figure out how to make gelato, I'm going to do that as well for, for a dessert. Well, hot dang. Now, do you have an ice cream maker? You got just yeah, one of, I have, I have spinner one of those ones? Little, yeah, one of those Cuisinart arch or something that you freeze the freeze the drum. And then, yeah, it's probably one of the ones you want to borrow on that list because I've had quite a few friends <laughs> that borrow Let's add mine. that on the, onto our list. Yep, yeah. borrow, borrow for that one. My, yeah, I have one. My dad is he's crazy about ice cream. Maybe it was just that whole generation, but like, I mean, the man will go, you know, head over heels for butter pecan. And he's got a larger, a larger one where he can make, I think three gallons out of this, out of this one. And, but it, it really, it's a hard crank one. This thing's a vintage piece of something cast uh, frame to it. He actually remade the, the ice bucket that goes on the outside, it's like a slotted pail that then you put yeah. the, the spin the, the spinner on the inside. And he ended up hooking that up to a motor, like an old John Deere flywheel motor. One of these, what do they call them, pop starts or pop miss. And 
it's an old vintage motor, but anyway, it runs a piston and then it has a flywheel and he runs that on a belt, which then he then hooks it up to spin this thing. So like you'll go down. Yeah. When the kids go down to see not on Papa, you know, you hear the pop, 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 pop in the backyard and you already know like, well, I guess we're having ice cream tonight. Yeah. The man's insane for it. So no, I'm glad you're going to be whipping up your own ice cream. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good deal. Nate, this has just been an awesome, holy smokes, hour and a half that we have just talked away. I mean, about cooking wild game and kitchen appliances. Who would ever thought I would be yeah. 35 years old talking about kitchen appliances? But I hope yeah, that I folks got a chance to really like think about, like, all right, what are something that I want to use, and have I thought about different angles of how to use it? Yeah, absolutely. I hope so as well. And yeah, I didn't think it was going to go this long either, but it was, uh, you know, it was a blast. Well, good deal. Nate, I want to give you some time to tell us about where we can find you. Where can my listeners find more about Recreational Chef? Where can they be tuning in to when you launch your website that they can be the first ones to sign in? Um, Yeah, I want to give you, you know, I want to give you a minute to tell us, basically shamelessly tell us about where we can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, I guess the only media platform that I do is is Instagram. So you can find me at Recreational Chef um, on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm hoping in the next few months that I'll have uh, the beginnings of a blog that I'll obviously share on my Instagram and let all my followers know. But yeah, I'm hoping to get get quite a few recipes. I have, you know, like I said, my book that I keep on the side of my nightstand in my kitchen. Um, it's getting kind of stacked up with some recipes that I'm getting excited to share with people. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Hey, hold on for just a second here, Nate. I'm going to let our uh, listeners on out. Well, folks, we have got a area of our house that we love being the kitchen. It is our place to be creative. It is our place to be able to let loose and to, basically bring out the autistic excuse me not the autistic the artistic side of ourselves and get a chance to just make something amazing out of the amazing critters that we have hunted and gathered and fished for and so that space is very important to us let's not fill it with unitaskers things that only do one thing make sure we get some multitaskers that are able to get in there and do many different things that we can use whether if it's if you pick up an air fryer or even if you stick with the same old smoker that you've always had, make sure that the knife that you use is always sharp.